The deeper Christian life is no deeper than that of the clear teaching of God's Word. It is not a mystery withheld from anyone, but made known to all who will listen and obey. Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. May Christ lead you deeper into Himself today as together we explore God's Word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. In Psalm 119, verse 11, the psalmist says to God, Your word have I hidden my heart, that I might not sin against you. The Lord Jesus came to earth as a man and lived his life facing the temptations that are common to us all. Satan came against him quoting God's word out of context in order to tempt him, and the Lord Jesus, who was the Lord of heaven, could have rebuked Satan with his own words. But instead, he quoted scripture back at the enemy to teach us that our battle against Satan's attacks are won when we use the Word of God that we have hid in our hearts. Satan came to Jesus and said, Look, if you're hungry, just speak the Word. You can turn that stone into bread and you can eat it. Our scripture reading from Luke said, Jesus said to him that man shall not live by bread alone. It's written in scripture. In chapter Matthew, chapter 4, actually, we have an expansion of what Jesus said to him. The scripture says, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. My feast, my life, my hope is in God's word. There's a story that I just recently read. It was from a book that's written by David McCullough, an author, a historian, and called The Pioneers. And it's the story of the settling of the Northwest Territories, which at that time basically made up Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, and Wisconsin. The Revolutionary War heroes were given script for their time during the Revolutionary War, but the script was worthless, and so they wanted more than that, and they needed more than that. And so the folks back in the capital decided the best thing to do was to give them free land in this wilderness area. And so they apportioned them free land within these areas, and they sent them out, and the first place they settled was in Marietta, Ohio. These are Revolutionary War veterans that went out to settle Marietta, Ohio, and when they arrived down the Ohio River to the place where they're going to settle for this very first settlement, the Indians came out to greet them. I think the Indians actually knew that this was trouble, though, and they were proved to be trouble. Within about 30 years, all of the Indians in Ohio had been pushed out of the state of Ohio. But on this occasion, they received him. And then they began to bring provisions for them. They gave them everything they thought they needed. They just kept providing them with the food that they needed and kept them kind of fat and happy. And then, as the winter began to approach, and just before the winter came, the Indians disappeared in the woods. But as they disappeared in the woods, they went at about a 20-mile radius all around Marietta, and they shot and killed all of the wildlife in the whole area. Every moose, every elk, every deer, they drove it all out. Their idea was, first, we'll make them dependent on us. We'll be the one feeding them. We'll be the ones giving everything they need. And then before the winter comes, we'll go out and we'll kill everything they need to survive, and we'll starve them out, and we'll send them from this place. And it almost worked. It almost worked. That's how Satan works. Satan will come to your flesh and he'll give you everything that you need and everything that you desire. He'll feed you. He'll give you the things you want and you desire and he'll cultivate them and he'll give them to you to such an extent that you begin to rely upon them and depend upon them and you think you need them and he'll feed those things to you. And then eventually what Satan will do is he'll begin to withdraw that from you. He'll begin to starve you of those things so that you're in a state of desperation and you'll collapse before him. And Here's an idea. Here's how you defeat Satan come against you in this way. You learn to live not on your fleshly cravings and appetites. Satan is committed to feeding your ego. And then when that won't work or when he gets you all puffed up, he'll tear your ego down. 
But you learn that, look, I'm not going to live by my feelings. I'm not going to live simply to satisfy all of my desires. I'm not going to live for just significance and power and acceptance and security. I'm not going to rely upon all these things. I'm going to instead let my life be all about honoring and pleasing God. I'm going to live not by my flesh, but my key core being is I want to live for God's glory. I want to live for God's honor. I want to live for God's praise. I want to live enjoying His promises. I want to live in deep relationship with Him. And then when the enemy starves your flesh, he'll be fighting on the wrong ground. He'll be nighing of things that you don't need anyhow. Because you'll say, man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You, you be cautious. If your life is going along and you're getting everything you want and every desire is being met and you're finding you're satisfied, pleasing yourself, and, and it seems to be coming good, be aware. The enemy may be just be bringing you. Satan may just be bringing you all the things you think you need, right? And I know what's coming next. He's going to take it back. He's going to starve you out. It's a warning for us. We don't want to live in our flesh. We want to live stoking into our lives a hunger and a desire and an appetite for God's word and God's truth and God's presence so that we might glorify him. Jesus put it this way. My meat, my food. You might remember he sent his disciples into a little village to get some food because he was hungry. When they came back, he had had an opportunity to present the promise of everlasting life to one woman who had come to a well in the middle of the day. She came in the middle of the day because her life was filled with sin and the Lord Jesus presented her how she might have eternal life that would spring from her and have all her sins forgiven and she went away full and satisfied with his message. Disciples came back and wanted to give him food that they'd got in the village and the Lord Jesus said my meat, my food is to do my Father's will. You understand what God wants from your life. You Get in the word. You feed your soul with that and you'll be able to rise above this tactic of the enemy. By the way, the story goes on in Ohio and Marietta. Uh, eventually, because the Indians had retreated and the settlers had survived that first winter, the next thing the Indians started doing as more settlers came in and they realized they had a really big problem on their hands is they began to pick off anyone who wandered out in the woods too far. There'd be a settler that would be picked off here, another one that would be picked off there. It's a rather dramatic story. You know, I was thinking about this. When I was a little boy, we lived in Ohio. In fact, my mother's family were some of the first settlers in another county in Ohio back in 1805, just within, you know, 15 years of when this all began. When I was a little boy, my father used to put us to bed by telling us stories of Indians taking us and kidnapping us and all these things, you know, be all fat and how we'd escape and you'd be listening and I... I realized as I was reading this history that these kinds of little mythological stories that get passed on from one generation to the next have some root in reality. These were real fears and real things that took place. And, well, these settlers began to petition George Washington to send them some troops to help them. And so finally, eventually, George Washington sent them some troops. He was to send them 4,000. Instead, all he could give them was 1,700 but the people that he got, that he sent to them, were people that they took from the streets of the eastern cities who were bribed either with the promise of money or whiskey. They were told, this is how much money you're going to get while you're there, and here's how much whiskey we're going to give you every single day. And they said, we'll go. So they had an army of people that wanted plenty of whiskey supplied for them. So this 
ragtag bunch of men came that were supposed to be the soldiers, and then he appointed to lead them a man who had already proved himself to be incompetent as a general during the Revolutionary War. So they put together these 1,700 people, and they thought what we're going to do is we're going to go and we're going to chase these Indians out of the region. So he put them on a march through the wilderness, and their instruction was to make as much noise as possible. They didn't have any training. They weren't really prepared for battle. But they marched to the wilderness, and they brought their dogs along with them, and the dogs would bark, and they brought along with them some of their wives and children. And so there were about 1,700 soldiers and about 200 women and children as well, and they were shouting and making their noise, and they were pounding things, and they were cutting things, and making as much noise as possible because they were hoping, the idea was, if we can just be loud enough, the enemy, the Indians, will move further and further away from us and leave us alone. And initially, what happened were the Indians continued to follow that band of soldiers, and if anyone got a little bit too far ahead, they'd pick off a few of them here and a few of them there. That meant them, they thought, well, we're in contact with the enemy still. They're out there, so we have to keep pushing ahead and make a little more noise because they're picking off us. And they're coming after us. And, but eventually, as they got deeper and deeper into the woods, the, the Indians disappeared. They didn't confront them. They weren't picking them off. And so they, they began to relax a little bit. And, uh, moved out a little bit further. And it became a jaunt in the woods. And then one day, early in the morning, just after sunrise, just after they had had their parade ground where they paraded around their camp and made all their noise and were released to go and get breakfast, all of a sudden the... Woods all around them became alive with shouts and painted in warriors came out from the woods and they began to fire away with their flintlocks and within a three-hour period of time, 1,094 soldiers and women and children were killed. Most significant massacre, actually, ever. And any of the kind of warfare that took place between the native peoples of North America and the settlers that were advancing out happened at that time. There were 20 Indians, I think, that were lost in the battle. They were ambushed. Have you ever felt ambushed by Satan? Do you know? Uh, well, let me tell you what won't work in dealing with Satan. One, it won't work if you're not prepared. Second, you better have character in your life. You're not going to be able to defeat him unless you're in the company of people that have character as well. You can't be bribed into your defense. You can't say, well, I'll do what God wants if he'll just give me a little bit of this and a little bit of that that I want. The other one is, it doesn't matter how much noise you make. If you think somehow you're going to drive off the enemy by boasting and puffing out your chest and making noise and prating around and singing as loud as you can from Sunday to Sunday, it's not going to help you either. You're going to need something more than that. You're going to need to be prepared. You're going to need to be in the company of people who are prepared. And even then, you're going to get ambushed. There are times when the enemy is going to come upon you. There are times when... He's just going to release his force against you. And you're going to need help in that moment in time to stand up. God wants you to be holy, but it, there's a battle involved in it, and you have a foe that's coming against you. Let me take you to, again, Psalms 119.11, and let's look at some things very quickly. The psalmist is aware of this danger, this danger of being waylaid by the enemy, this danger of being taken away from living a productive and holy life, this danger of sin, coming in and being predominant as life and being defiled and even being destroyed and being ambushed. I think David is the one who's written this psalm and David has been ambushed before. And he's fallen into great, great failure because of his sin. And David has learned a lesson. David says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
And so what I want to share with you as briefly as I can is how the Bible works to take us away from sin and lead us into holiness and how you make the Bible work for you. And the first thing I want to do is just explain to you how the Bible directs us away from sin. So let me just say the five ways the Bible takes us away from sin. And the first thing it does is it names it. There are over 22 words in your Old Testament and New Testament for sin, giving us a broad idea of what sin is. It's referred to as brokenness, as being off the path, as going astray, as trespassing, as missing the mark, as crookedness, as rebellion, as offending, as lawlessness. It's just an overall general expression of what sin is. And so it gives us an idea. These are not good things. It's not good to be astray. It's not good to trespass. It's not good to offend. You don't want to be crooked in rebellion. You don't want to be offending and lawless. But this is what the Bible describes as sin. The second thing it does is it identifies specific sins. I could give you a number of references. You could go through and I could give you a, a number of places in the New Testament where categories of sins are put before us. And obviously we remember the Ten Commandments in which... We're told what not to do and what to do, and it reveals what sin is. Let me read to you a couple. In Romans chapter 1, verses 29 through 30, I won't mention all of them, but here are just some of the names of specific sins. Sexual immorality, covetousness, envy, murder, strife, deceit, gossiping. Doesn't that kind of bother you that gossiping and murder are put together in the same category? It's there. Backbiting. That means saying nasty things about people behind their backs. Violent, proud, boasters, disobedient to parents. Kids, it's there too. Disobedient to parents. Right there with Thanks for listening to the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministries locally and internationally, go to breadoflifeboise.org. There you'll find links to radio broadcast archives and to full-length messages. Until the next time, may God bless you.